3: Recorded live.
4: A-U-N. American Underground
5: Network.
2: The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, They want a human God to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible. So the human God, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who... Is the bigger liar the public or the God
1: All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, it's the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future because the future is theirs.
2: My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing of civil war will stop the planned outcome.
5: It's the
1: National Collective Consciousness Show with D.D. Farrell, in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condit, Jr., in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Thank you, everyone, for calling in tonight and being part of this special program as we pay tribute to a wonderful individual, soul, uh, and advocate for truth for freedom, for justice in our world. The late Rosalie Grable passed away this past Monday, May 10th, at roughly 12.10 in the afternoon. Uh, She had uh, uh, an ailment from cancer. She died very peacefully, and people have come onto the call tonight who were very close to her, who lived with her, who were friends and did research with her to share some of their memories. We'll be spending the rest of the hour tonight and... uh, At the tail end of this hour, Jim Fetzer will be calling, and he, too, met Rosalie in person, and he'll have some words to say, and then Jim will update us on his research in the second hour. Uh, First off, I'd like to acknowledge on the call right now is is Joe Friendly, who lived with Rosalie in New York City for the past several years. Joe, thank you for coming on and and spending some time with us. And we heard a voice earlier uh, that had met Rosalie and been at that Madison conference that Jim Fetzer Sp- organized uh, and did a lot of research with Nico Hoppt and, and many other people. Uh, Rosalie touched so many people out there in a very thoughtful, but very fierce. Uh, she had a point about her that was uh, – that she, there was nothing indirect or nothing wishy-washy about her, her spirit – and, and the way she walked through the world, but she also loved to celebrate and be happy, and um, and, and share uh, the, the the everyday niceties of life, uh, to communing with with other lovers of of, of of music and song. And I wish I had gone back to visit and, and meet her mother, because uh, for many years I used to be a singer in a barbershop, and I guess both Rosalie and her mother were were great karaoke singers at this restaurant, uh, world, uh, famous, the karaoke singers at this place. Uh, real quickly, before we get into Joe and others, uh, pe- kind of passing the baton, I'll just tell everyone how I met Rosalie. It was in the wake of nine 11, the fall of that terrible event that changed the world, uh, that I discovered Rosalie's work. I was online. Uh, I, I, when it happened, I unplugged the TV within 30 seconds and, and Something told me not to be exposed to the mainstream media assault. And I quietly uh, got online a few weeks later. So I wasn't exposed to all this stuff. And I discovered Rosley's work. And it it had to do with, uh, you know, the no planes research. And I reached out to her by email, and I found out that she actually lived in Chicago. We got to meet. We had coffee. I would drive her around. We'd go to a Chinese buffet. And over the next few months, I encouraged her to uh, get her stuff together because I would like to help organize uh, the first screening of her work. And I invited people from all over Chicago. And in the basement of her building, we set up a little theater with chairs and everything else, and we did the first public screening of her work. It was uh, an amazing night, which I will never forget. And in the wake of that, within a less than a week or two, all of a sudden, mysteriously, Rosalie disappeared. And thank God she had my number in her pocket. It was an 800 number, and she called me. And uh, what basically happened is that a relative committed her to a psych ward here in Chicago, and I had to scramble with all of these machinations of papers and filings uh, and powers of attorney to get her out of there, and uh, we were successful in getting, getting her out of there. I was able to get inside, pass her the papers in secret and have her sign them. I took them out, had them notarized, sent them to the hospital. She was able to get out of there.
5: But it was, it was really
1: quite an ordeal, and, and it was, uh, we may not have seen Rosalie after that because things were really ratcheting up. I think they wanted to, to commit her for a very long period of time. In the wake of that, Rosalie and I would stay in touch, and then when the late Aaron Russo's documentary, American Freedom to Fascism, came on, believe it or not, Rosalie and her computer was the device through which the first public upload to Google Video was transferred from her little laptop in her little apartment in Chicago. That's where it came from. It was Rosalie Grable's little hands that typed away and uploaded that uh, Google video up to uh, that, that video of Aaron Russo's documentary up to Google vid- video. So within a, a year or so later, she she ended up going to New York. Uh, we were all very supportive. I was, and it sounded like a great move. She made connections with many new people, <clears throat> including Nico Hopp and many others out there. And uh, Joe Friendly, uh, who lived with Rosalie for the last several years, I, I haven't met you. But thank you for coming on the call. And why don't you just take over and tell us more about how Rosalie touched your life and what you experienced?
6: Okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. But uh, in all truth, um, we weren't that close in her world of ideas that I okay. had developed my own pretty big one. And okay. I do a daily, daily TV show in Manhattan for an hour called Truth for a Change. So we shared that commitment to the truth. And she she could look over my shoulder and see what I'm doing. But um, I will... um, mm, mm, I'm kind of stumped, really. As far as as a a testimony to her qualities of character, she was a a wonderful person. She was uh, scrupulous uh, of her integrity. She kept her promises. And... Mm -hmm. um, she dedicated the more recent part of her life. She did make herself into a celebrity with a, um, an impressive MSNBC piece on, on, uh, on, online that you can watch, where she takes the challenge of the Poor People's um, Pauper's Island gravesite in New York. At yeah, Heart Island heart island and she challenges that successfully she gets good press she gets some politics happening by just the the, the strength of her character her commitment to the truth so you google Hard island msnbc whatever you can see a, a, an impressive right. challenge where she brings flowers to the guards and says why am i deprived this visit to my mother isn't that something okay
1: Okay.
3: Fred, if I, Fred, if I might interject, it's it's Jim. I'm already here. Oh, it's Jim. I may, you're be, on. Okay. I may be among the only ones who knows Joe Friendly and Rosalie and you and others there. Is Jim Condit Jr. here too? Jim Condit,
1: he, I don't know if he's on. No, I don't know. Yeah, I had the
3: most wonderful interview with him. Actually, I got him on my show on Rents, which I just finished here 15 minutes ago twice to talk about the election. But look, this Joe Friendly guy is just an absolutely superb person. He, he, he's a, a big guy, reminiscent kind of, of a Santa Claus type character. Very, very smart. Very, very uh, kind, considerate. I could see why he and Rosalie would, would hit it off so well, because she would be so appreciative of his qualities. And as he's implying intellectually, they didn't see things eye to eye. For example, Joe never bought into Rosalie's work on No Planes Theory. But i got to say, Fred, you know, Rosalie was among those who badgered me again and again and again when I was uh, running, you know, when I founded Scholars for 9-11 Truth to look at it seriously. Uh, She and, and Morgan Reynolds and Judy Wood, too, were all after me to take a look, and it was about a year and a half before I could bring myself to actually start to study the evidence in this case and I discovered that, lo and behold, they were exactly right. That it wasn't even physically possible for a Boeing 767 to enter a twin tower. That it would crumble externally, fall apart, bodies, seats, luggage, wings, tail, fall into the ground. They had to fake it for multiplicity of reasons, uh, both uh, both uh, physical, spatial, and temporal including that they were going to set off explosions in the sub-basements of the Twin Towers in order to drain the sprinkler systems of water, since otherwise they would have extinguished the very modest fires that remained after the first 15 or 20 seconds of those spectacular fireballs, which were created by previously positioned jet fuel, napalm, some combination thereof. But the, the fires that remained were th- that they were so very modest is indicated by the fact that the NIST studied 236 samples of steel from the building and found that 233 had not been exposed to temperatures above 500 degrees Fahrenheit. That's the temperature of an ordinary office fire uh, not known to bring down steel-structured buildings. In fact, in the whole history of civil engineering no steel structure high-rise ever collapsed due to fire before nine eleven, after nine eleven, or, of course, on 9-11. Hey, Jim, the, Jim, uh, I'm going to have to –
1: let me just do a little segue here because hold your thunder because uh, we, what we like to do – you just made some comments about Rosalie. I thank you so much for coming on this early. Uh, but we do want to hear from you in full-blown Fetzer uh, – Firehose mode (laughs) later in the hour. Uh, But we want to give some of these other people that have called in, total strangers to us, but very close to Rosalie, or were touched by Rosalie, to give them a little bit of an opportunity, including Joe uh, and and others,
3: just to say a couple of things. A sentence or two about her persona, which Joe knew so well. Uh, She wouldn't take on that. She wouldn't take nonsense from anyone. She was outspoken. She was tough. She was crusty. She was absolutely dedicated to the truth and a mountain of integrity, which is you one know, of many, many reasons it, it, we admire her. Yeah, Jim makes reference to a, a a
1: certain quality about Rosalie. She actually, I think, had a, a an endearing quality of of uh, she was able to shame. Uh, others in a way that it made you it was like a haunting shame i mean she 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 stood and looked you in the eye and was able to uh, almost like like bring to a focus this uh this sense of, of justice and, and and earnestness for the truth for the stand of the truth that uh, it, it almost like shamed you to to uh i mean when i first Got dragged into the no plane stuff, Jim. I I I, I like you. I was shaking my head. I, I couldn't get my head around it, and uh, <clears throat> I had to sit face to face, uh, shoulder to shoulder with her, and look into her eye and hear the tone of her voice before I was uh, I, I I was convinced, you know. It, it, but she she actually you know reached into my soul and and shook it up. <laughs> about those issues. She, she was you know,
3: almost an irresistible force. Yeah. Yeah. You Joe, know,
6: that is, we, that's helping uh, in listening to you guys go at it. I'll, I'll back off and let you talk to more, but I, I do want to acknowledge that for her to be a no-planer, living with a planer, that was uh, an issue. Between <laughs> <that and laughs> oh, man,
1: that is funny. <laughs> and Joe, we respect you And acknowledge everyone's right to their own, uh, you know, distillation of 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 judgment uh, based on the facts uh, that you've been able to, uh, you know, bring in. Uh, One thing about this call is we we like to encourage the interaction of of many different people from many different angles of the truth, and uh, we we've always encouraged and welcomed uh, different voices on this call. And, And I really want to thank you for being there for Rosalie with Rosalie as she walked those last years of her life. I'm sure you have many stories. Can you pick out just uh, one or two stories of Rosalie? Well,
6: I will say this. She, her mind was a struggle of compartments and mm-hmm. different grips on reality. And it. at times in life, she has just shrugged her shoulders and just broken off and walked away from situations that she Felt some boundaries in her mind of yeses and noes, and her philosophy. Uh, ultimately, I mean, she developed her own religion, and uh-huh. she would insist, "I have my reality. I have my religion." Remember? Can you talk some about her religion?
5: Is, do you want Absolutely. me to talk about it? Yeah. Well, yeah, basically, yeah, that's...
6: she said she believed in the goddess of of chaos, mm-hmm. and so she was able to deal with the frustration. Of life and not um, blame God for it kind of thing, and she was um, basically she had took she was pleased with herself that she had boiled down the Ten Commandments to just three: don't lie, cheat, or steal. And she found that um, like her own place to go when looking around, she couldn't trust the um, the corrupt social situation around her. Yep.
1: Now, there was another voice that wanted to chime in. Go ahead, ma'am. I just uh, wanted to talk
0: about her philosophy a little bit. Absolutely. Go go right ahead. It it was very deep, and it was uh, something which saved her life, according to her daughter. When she was dying, she told me that she was disappointed that more people didn't pay attention To these pages from the book of life she made 17 of them and was very proud of the fonts and the way she laid it out on the computer she was very computer savvy as fred pointed out that she was able to upload this this important video Mm -hmm. and um, she had these pages created i printed them out on parchment type paper and brought them to the hospital And she was very happy because it was the kind of paper that she imagined. She didn't want them to be clipped into a book. So it was like an old-fashioned kind of meaning, you know, ancient style of communication where it's not bound in a book, but it's in a parchment with kind of uh, lettering that's almost, you know, medieval.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for doing that. Now, you're referring, you're referring to, if you go to thewebfairy.com, you'll see it will automatically go to this page that has the listings of the book of life, of her book of life, right?
0: That's correct. And also mm-hmm. she, wanted know, she wanted me to know that there was others that were, on that, um, that were on that site. And if you look along the bottom, you'll see there are links to ones more than the 17 that are highlighted. Um, and in her mind, there was an infinite number of these pages, and she felt that they were given to her as a gift. And she believed that um, this so-called goddess, which she said was great goddess because it was purely imaginary, so it couldn't do any trouble. And um, she would have a saying, which was, Hail, Eris, Hail, in... And it's very yogic, my tradition is yogic, but it's it's a very it's a very ancient idea that also is in the yogic tradition, which is that uh you praise um the you know whatever that is you're praising in her case, she called it the goddess heiress. you praise that in ups and downs if it's in turmoil or suffering, you praise, and also if it's in happiness and good luck you always praise and she had that um she had that uh, get uh, practice she practiced that her life and so then when the time came of her death she had um the poise and she had the ability to um handle that whole situation in a very remarkable way an extremely courageous way and in a way, that was actually, I believe in any case, uplifting or you might say inspiring to those people that were able to see that. Wow.
1: Now, now she came down with a form of cancer. Was it pancreatic cancer? What was it, actually?
5: Yes. Yeah.
1: Pancreatic, that's a very devastating form of cancer. It's un, uncurable. It's just a, once it's diagnosed, it's, it's, it's basically that the... the uh,
6: well, when they told it to her, they also told her it had already metastasized to the liver.
1: Okay. Oh my gosh.
6: So they handed it to her together. The idea. And
1: she lived, David. Uh, Dave, Joe. Sorry. Uh, yeah. How many weeks from that diagnosis? It was it was less than a couple of months, right?
6: Right. It was quite quick. I don't have the dates clear in my head, but it was something of the order of um, like forty days. Or or less, right, Margaret?
0: Well, she she, heard, she got the diagnosis. She told me on March twelfth, oh,
5: okay. and she
0: died on May tenth. Okay, and it was almost wow. exactly two months.
1: Okay, good. Wow, wow. March twelfth, May
5: tenth.
6: Wow. And the um, the hospice um, there was some. It was always open for question. What was the best? Uh, whether to be here or in Michigan and um well wow, help Marguerite um did, how would you but describe the, the well part of the intrigue was she had to have some surgery and that was iffy whether what, what that would do yeah and we were hoping that um cannabis oil would be a cure yeah. Personally, I have faith in cannabis oil as a cure for cancer, even uh, something as stage 4-ish as pancreatic cancer. My understanding is that the, the cannabis oil has that ability to help the body to fight back even that. And yeah. she was making progress. It seemed like it was actually working, that she uh, had a... Um, a daughter who was a licensed marijuana provider in Michigan
5: uh-huh.
6: who, who came to here and um, she was taking the cure. And it looked like it was working. Um, and I was thinking, Wowie, that she would go down in history to look pancreatic cancer in the face and, and went over with cannabis oil. And then...
5: Wow.
6: Um, um, and then it got complicated that she um she had a fall and um from that fall on it seemed like she um uh, felt like it wasn't it wasn't happening that the cancer was winning and that fall okay. was um about 2 weeks before her birthday and I'm a student of the birthday factor I've devoted my life to studying birthdays and indeed 2 weeks before the birthday I'm losing my voice two weeks before the birthday is a time of problematic um, when people have accidents and stuff.
1: Oh, my gosh. So her birthday, um, it was April
6: 20th, correct, Joe? April, no, April 30th. <clears throat>
1: April 30th, excuse me. Right. And her fall was
6: um, around the 18th. Uh, no. yeah, oh so, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But anyhow, um I, I always kept marijuana in my apartment for her. There was so it was like a I always felt like um the laws against marijuana are unconstitutional. I had taken that sure. question personally to the US Supreme Court, Certiorari denied, but I was convinced I yeah. p pushing that argument that that um there's nothing it's it's been arbitrarily demonized because it yeah. is an antidote to conformity. And so I'm really a believer in that. And so we just, I didn't make a big deal of it, but whenever she wanted something, in general, it was always available. Okay. I think that helped. Um, She certainly had permission. Um, And we, um, I I will say one thing. She fell in love with her cell phone. And that um, is the beginning of a, a new human tribe that you know, looking on the subway, we um, here we go. As far as how how it will develop, she was quite happy. She she found in her cell phone um, so, something really worthy of her time and attention, which is you know the search for a loved one. So I'll throw that in.
3: Well, don't now, you know, wait a minute, Joe? You know, the use of the cell phone to reach out, and make have communication and contact with her network of friends. I mean, it's not the object per se yeah but but the medium you know that it it facilitates okay. I mean, Americans have embraced cell phones. it's a phenomenon I think maybe unmatched in the history of technology it's been a- absolutely transformed human life in the United States
6: yeah I mean, just the main you look in public transportation in a train in a bus, and um you know you can count how many people are there it's what their window to be- the world.
0: She would use the cell phone to um, spread ideas. And the main thing she was interested in the end was on the Facebook uh, about the vaccine issues. She yep. was very distraught about um, what was going on with vaccinating on babies. And she even attended the VAX um, showing with the director of VAX even when she was ill.
5: Oh, and my gosh. she gosh. Wow. Know.
0: Yeah, she wouldn't stop. You know, she wouldn't stop just because she was ill. And and my friend, uh, who, is, who is named Joe also, who um, is a book dealer and has given me m- many books that are, I don't know, remainders, put it that way. And um, she went to see him at a, uh, you know, she liked to go. She liked to go and find bargains. She liked to go to, um, I don't know what you call it. I
1: call thrift it- stores. Thrift stores. Absolutely. She was really good at going, picking out bargains at thrift, thrift stores and goodwill stores.
0: Yeah, this is what she loved to do. And oh, so, yeah. she, well, she saw my friend was having a. They were having a rare book sale, or whatever near the, um, near the fair uh, here. And she, she went and saw him, and he told me that she told him she was dying, that she was, she was dying. So, um, in other words, even though she, she was – most people would go into denial with that, but her commitment of the truth was such that um, she, didn't de- she didn't go into denial over it. Uh-huh. And the other thing was that in the unit she was on, which was a hospice unit at Bellevue uh-huh. – And I believe that it was a very good unit because my mother was in a hospice situation in the countryside of upstate New York and definitely did not get the kind of care, attention, and, you know, very well run uh, hospice uh, situation that Rosalie was able to benefit from. And on that unit, they said that they, They basically never saw anyone that was in her condition that was completely lucid because she was completely lucid until the end. And they said they never see that or it's extremely rare.
7: Wow. And
0: she was also having the people, the the nurses and the caretakers in there, she was having them laugh. I mean, she was cracking them up with the different things she was saying and with her attitude.
1: Wow well, I tell you uh she inspired so many people, touched so many people and and she she came on our call once or twice over the years uh, regarding her nine eleven research but um uh, uh, do you go back, Joe, to the nico hopped uh there was some really really tense situations involving that research and the interactions that Rosie had with Nico and, and a few other people, including this very tall, blonde woman. I forget her name. She was kind of uh, – had, had a big element uh, in, in that research for a while. Do you
0: go back
6: yeah, to Marga- Uh Almost. I think Marguerite is a little better there, aren't you?
0: Well, a couple things. One is she had a very bad falling out with Nico. and. Okay and the thing was uh, it's a longer story which i sh- i've detailed um i've written up a lot of everything that happened but mm-hmm. it looks like the 911 new york city 911 truth movement was deliberately uh targeted and broken apart i, and, I can talk so, i can talk
6: about that yeah
0: yes. and um the thing was the good thing was um at the end um, I did, I, Nico said he would like to speak to her and he, he, and I put him on the phone with her, um, a couple of days before she died and he apologized to her.
5: Oh, and wow. Thank you. Her,
0: yeah. That made her feel very, very good. And I said, well, you know, he would like probably to talk to you more, but you know, time does run out and she had a fall the Sunday before she died. Not exactly a fall, but it was a turning point. And she wasn't able to do much after that. And um, she, I wanted to have more commentary on the pages from the Book of Life because she had things to add and she had things she wanted to emphasize. And she did go over a couple of pages with me, but uh, time time went out. And that's, that's a lesson for me because... Um, You know, death isn't going to wait five minutes if you say I need five more minutes.
5: Yeah. Um,
0: And so that was, but she did accomplish a great deal, and she was proud of her accomplishments rightfully. And at the end of her life, she did a great deal to publicize this. um, It's basically mass graves that's run by the correction department of New York, and um, she was you know, very, you know, influential in bringing that subject to light. And she also wasn't interested per se in 9-11. She'd done a tremendous amount of work, which I'm relooking at now, which yep. I myself didn't even fully appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she did go on to making a difference in the vaccine Information about vaccines—that was what she was interested in promoting.
1: Uh, ma'am, I, I know you have used different names, but uh, we would love to stay in touch with you. And if you w- would feel free, we could have you on to talk more specifically about Rosalie's uh, philosophy, because uh, it—it—it—it it, it doesn't do justice to just you know uh, talk briefly about that. And I really appreciate and would like to stay in touch with you but on our website you can find a, a link that you can put uh you know an email or whatever whatever alias you want but just say you know rosalie grable i was uh, talking on the call last night and if you want to leave an email we'd love to stay in touch with you ma'am
0: that's fine i would i would love to do that i will
1: okay because i i know this is this information uh, that, that was very near and dear to her, uh, you know, we, we could we could revisit yeah. that uh, on on another whole hour of a show in the future. So Joe, Joe want to
3: wanted to address Joe. Wanted yeah, I to could address talk. That.
6: I could talk about Nico some. That uh um, yeah, I did take right, so an interest
3: in, in the New York nine eleven movement. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. Tell us.
5: Uh, well, we
6: had we had weekly Sunday meetings in a uh, church on Saint Mark oh Saint Mark's Church, and it was. Basically I think the credit goes to Les Jamison making it happen and the Pastor uh Morales. Was it Tank Morales? Frank Morales?
5: Yeah, Father Frank Morales.
6: And um he took some heat eventually the, the whole congregation took a position against them because they were tired of the nine eleven truth associations. But he had that place and the speakers were there and um I learned a lot. I mean, that was my. There was a support group for people uh, in a way. And yeah. In fact, I will say this: there was somebody in the group that I would walk home with on their way to a bus to upstate or whatever, Connecticut somewhere, and he told me of some uh, research in the medical world in which there was some product called Shift Super Garlic. There were capsules of just incredible high doses of garlic, and he says just doing research, and take a whole bunch at a time. So he and I were taking like 8, 10 a night, and people were moving away from us on the buses. (laughs) (laughs) And I did that for like uh, two months. And uh, when I took a three-dimensional X-ray of my circulation system, my brothers had like 65% blockage, and one of my brothers had gone to college to his roommate was the guy who invented the three-dimensional x-ray. Yeah. So, so we got it. He talked me into Okay, and I laid out 500 bucks, and I had the three-dimensional x-ray. And they said there was no plaque in my arteries at all.
5: Wow.
3: Wow. So, uh,
6: so I give credit to my visit to St. Mark's
3: Church. <laughs> the, the super garlic cleared the arteries. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. So, or anyhow. someone
5: wants
6: to be anywhere near you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, Nico was was, was a problem in, in the group that he didn't share time fairly. And there grew resentment that once you let him talk, he won't shut up. Yeah. And, and there was, you know, different efforts to deal with it. You know, like, can you just plain expel it out? Hey, you're not supposed to do that and all that. Nothing would work. Yeah. And I would go out with him and his uh, other friend, Brian, I forgot his name. Who lived in Rhode Island, but the three of us or four of us, we you know typically it would be another part of the ritual who you ate with after the event. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I would give him some encouragement, but I was in my own way trying to tell him to ease off. Oh, one thing he was doing was was standing in front of the church and lecturing to people going by. Is that right, Margarita? Are you was that part of the deal?
0: Well, he has some kind of Asperger's or whatever. He has communication problems and he would rant and it would scare people. That's for sure. And he did stand up in front of the um he did stand up in front of the whole meeting and start calling out you know calling out um Les Jameson, because Les Jameson was a member of this Urantia cult, which is like a UFO cult, and he'd hidden it from everyone. But instead of, you know, so he, like, he he didn't, I guess, he got his anger management problems, and so uh-huh. he would start, um, you know, basically viciously attacking, you know, le- the leader the leader of the group. But the thing is that, so-called leader of the group they weren't really um they weren't elected and the reason we were there was because of frank morales uh he was a pastor at the saint mark's church but there's no reason that we had to meet there necessarily all this becomes clear retrospect but many things happened um including the um luke rudowski left the group and broke apart and claimed that he was going to do something different, he was going to be transparent, he was going to be democratic and he was going to obey what the vote was or what, you know, the group consensus was. And one of the first things he did was not be transparent about the money and then decide unilaterally to change the name of the group to We Are Change. And that was under the influence of Alex Jones and also a bunch of people infiltrated at that time, or I would say infiltrated from New Jersey. And they were big, burly, hulky guys who wore these yellow jackets that said security over the back. And they were very vicious and, you know, attacking people as well. And there was really no women in the group that left. I mean, we wanted to keep the name nine eleven new york city nine eleven truth and we and it's even there's a little more to the story i won 't go into now because it 's about Rosalie but um rosalie um and Nico were n- not met in person; they were very, very close associates in research with yep. Gerard Holmgren. They were like a yep. triumvirate. And yep. you know, they were just the most brilliant at the time. They were the ones... Rosalie was the first observer, meaning that she saw something no one else saw. And she yep. was the first one to see it. And that has to do with the No Day footage. But um, when she met Nico yep. in person, it was immediate dislike.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: And... Um, it was just the personalities rubbing the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. And mhm. Yeah,
1: I I, I uh I never met Nico in person, but I had many uh times when I was with Rosalie when Nico was on a Skype call or whatever. That was the only way and but there was no personal, you know, physical contact to my knowledge and, and I think yeah, I, I didn't think Nico's personality would rub very well with Rosalie if they met ever met in person.
6: Well, no, didn't they live together for a while in New Jersey? The three of well, them, like they had a.
0: That, well, what happened is but there that
1: there was more um, than just Nico and her. There was there was other people involved. I think. Right. right? Yeah.
0: Correct.
5: Correct. Yeah.
0: No, she, she um, she met him and took an immediate dislike. But it took a while before they were really at each other's throat.
7: Oh, I see. Uh, it
1: took a
0: little while.
1: Ma'am, who was the name of that lady with the blonde hair that was in the middle of that No planes, sort of like talk fest or, or talk show or video? Of, uh, Paula
5: uh, Gloria.
0: Paula Gloria.
1: Whatever happened to her? Is she just scared?
0: She also became estranged from Rosalie. And they became you know, en- pretty much enemies, I would say. And uh, she- Paula moved to Woodstock.
7: Okay. Mm-hmm.
6: I- I've been in touch with Paula Gloria. Um, she was uh, a television producer on the same system as me. and okay. they took- and they took away her show, so she's been spending a lot of her energies with legal fights with the Manhattan Neighborhood Network, a local provider of public access. Okay. So she's litigating, and her um, she got married, and the guy who she married lived in Woodstock, so she's been hanging out with him. They come what, into town once in a, a while.
3: Huh? Why did they take away your show, Joe? It's
6: my understanding that the reason they took it away- although I'm not certain that there it was that in order to have a show, you have to be a Manhattan resident and she was evicted from her apartment, therefore no show, and therefore they took it away, but that's only a technical reason since her mm-hmm. husband Joe Barton that she lives with is a Woodstock resident and he still has a show
5: mm-hmm.
6: so I don't know what's going on there except there is it is a fact that in her show she directly um insulted, um, criticized uh the management who fired her or throughout who took away her show. So it was
5: uh-huh.
6: what uh my brother who read some book, it's called Humping the Host, of picking on management, like picking your battles wisely that she would choose to attack in the name of uh, freedom of speech and the truth and all that good stuff. She was attacked with Manhattan Neighborhood Network Management, and so they took away her show basically for that reason, apparently. Oh, okay. Censorship, yeah. ultimately,
3: yeah. yeah. Did, did Rosalie get on many shows in New York, too?
6: Not to my understanding, but I will say this, guys. Whoop, whoop, I didn't have to mentioned this. She has become a star in this sense, that there was a TV crew... Uh, filming her pretty much for the last month. Uh, Jenny is one of the people. Uh, she came by the apartment even again today, so they did shoot lots of video about her, particularly in terms of her struggle with Heart Island, but more generally, the surprise in the story. As they're like making this movie of her life and preparing to die and all that is part of the movie. Along comes her daughter. And her daughter is brilliant and beautiful. And it's like a nice twist to the story that of all her accomplishments, she did produce that too. And not only brilliant and beautiful, but her heart is in the right place too. And so she has the makings of a a star in the sense that her, her gestures, her smile and all that, they do, from the point of view of me, a producer, she has she has the legitimacy to be framed as a star that she, um, that's who, a, fa-
3: who fathered her daughter.
6: Uh, there's a whole story. You want to talk about that Marguerite? <laughs> I mean, that's a, it's a big we, long story that
3: mostly yeah, suffered. We don't have to. Yeah, we don't have to do it. But, now what, what, I, I reached
1: out to her daughter online and, uh, never got a response but uh she she's got a great smile, great, you know, uh aura about about you know just the way she visually looks and uh yeah. she looks real real close to her mom. Yeah.
5: yeah,
6: I learned from her that her mother apparently was um quite quite attractive uh in her uh early years 1820 around there um
5: mm-hmm.
6: that she was a beauty. Yeah.
1: Marguerite, are you still with us? Just checking. Fred, I don't see her on the board. Um, I I don't know if she dropped. We'll see if she can get back in, but I I don't see her on the board right now. Okay. She must have dropped off. Anybody else on the call right now as we we kind of wind down this hour, tribute to the memory of Rosalie Glarevo, feel free to just chime in. Uh, Anybody listening, just star six your phone. Uh, feel free to share anything. Go, go right ahead. That's why we have this Hour for Rosalie's memory.
7: And, this, is, uh, uh, this is Dave in Chicago. Um, I never met her, but I remember those couple of shows we had with where you invited guests that were part of that No Planes movement. I remember vividly how much it freaked you out the first few times you talked to those people. Um, it might be a nice um, tribute to her to find those people again and get an update on their research from the last time we talked to them several years ago.
5: That's my yeah.
1: talk. Thanks, Dave. Uh, I, that's Dave Dalka from Chicago, guys. And uh, Yeah, you, you were on those calls. I think mean, you are the one who prompted me, Dave, to, Drag drag those people on the call. No,
7: I I wasn't I wasn't I no, I wasn't a part of that at all. I just I just oh, you was weren't. fascinated by your uh, once you okay. had them on, I was fascinated by how challenging you found those interviews to be because you needed to do additional research to even understand what to ask them. I just remember yeah. that very vividly. We had we had a number of conversations offline about that. Okay. Oh boy. Anybody anybody else?
1: Comments or questions? Uh, anything to share about Rosalie and her memory? And
6: uh, Joe, do you know
1: Mar- do you know how to contact Marguerite?
6: Oh sure, yeah. No okay, problem.
1: good, good. Because you're you're our contact uh, for for that, and and I would like okay. to we'd like to stay in touch with you, Joe, and okay. maybe have you on as, as a special guest one night uh, just to go into your work. Uh, uh, so yeah,
6: I could offer some uh, stuff worth talking about.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs>
6: Interesting. I Uh, might even stick around and give Jim Fetzer a hard time on this uh, next
3: time. Yeah, Joe, I'd like that. Marguerite's back home. home.
1: Marguerite's (laughs) back home. Marguerite, you're back on. Okay.
0: Yeah, my phone died. Sorry.
1: Oh, no problem, Marguerite. We're just going to uh, do a final little uh, call out to anyone on the call who would like to make a final comment about Rosalie. And I don't want to say this is going to be final just for this show. I would like to think that, uh, you know, her memory and her work uh, could, could still, you know, be, be shared uh, from here on out with many other people. She was a dear soul, a dear lady. Uh, I, I feel honored to have met her in, in, in the small way that I did and uh, for that brief period of time while she was living here in Chicago. And, uh, hey, Joe, could you talk about or Marguerite, talk about her mom real quickly, Gladys. The uh, karaoke, famous karaoke lady. Can you just say a few words about her mother?
6: Well, they lived together here in my home uh, the last two years of her mother's life. Oh, and wow. that was a chance for them to reacquaint each other with each other because there was intrigue between them. And as her mother uh, made a name for herself as Karaoke Gladys, yeah. it was uh, <laughs> like a sensation. And Rosalie was rooting for her mother uh, and watching her mother come alive finally as um, getting some of the attention that her husband, who had been an orchestra leader, (laughs) had been pigging out on. He got all the attention. She never got that. Anyhow, so she became a a star in which her specialty was not singing on pitch. She would invent (laughs) her own note.
1: Oh, man. (laughs)
6: but she was close
1: (laughs) close
5: (laughs) 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 she
0: she had (laughs) ethel merman you know if you just heard it for a moment you might think oh that doesn't sound good but if you saw her on stage if you saw her charisma and how she commanded the stage and she just had a lot of fans and just uh, the people the young people from the uh like theater district in New York would go to this karaoke and yeah. of course they would stay out very very late at night it would start at 10 they it was too late for me but it wouldn't end till 2 in the morning and her mother would just be there till the very end and they just loved her and they just adored her mother and they would take her home in a taxi and rosalie oh, would wow. bring her mother there and Um, it was just, she was famous and, and it was just, it was delightful. And when her mother was dying herself, her mother said, Oh, I just want to get back on the stage. Her mother just wanted to get back to the stage. So, um, I think one thing was that Rosalie had felt that she had not appreciated her mother enough when her mother was alive. And then when her mother died, it was a bit of a, Uh, Sometimes you might know consciously a person's dying or sick, but then when they die, you're taken by surprise. I know that happened to me in my life. And um, she wanted to, uh, you know, remember her mother and and do the memorial for her mother. So she started in with the karaoke much stronger than she had been when her mother was alive. And it was almost as a memorial to her mother that she adopted the karaoke Partying or whatever she was doing. Yeah,
6: that, you're right. Oh. That was a big thing going on. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So wait a
1: minute. Rosalie was good at karaoke too, right?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, she
6: developed wow. it. But to each of her performances after her mother died was in celebration of her mother. Yeah.
7: Oh, okay. very whole, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm
3: sure any, any of those any of those recorded? Yeah, video. Do yes. you guys have video of Yeah, I'm I have. A, I
6: have some of them up online. Oh,
3: oh terrific. Perfect
0: oh wow and and rosalie went and made cds of her mother's work just like she made cds for the uh you know for the 9-11 truth and yeah
5: she gave
0: she gave me she gave me computers so that i could work on it because she um at one point um she had injuries on her hips so she was taking she had to take painkillers and as a result if you take painkillers you know you you can't always concentrate as well you can't always you know you don't have the motivation necessarily so she gave she she gave me the computer so that I could do that and I could write about nine eleven. and she said you know like in other words I would do it in her stead because she wasn't able anymore to you know do it as much as before
1: Sure. And oh. uh,
0: so she made CDs of her mother. I have them here. Even I could find a way to upload them. But she, she had, you know, Karaoke Gladys in Las Vegas, and she had all like at least five or six different CDs of her mother's work.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> well, man, this is very special. Marguerite, thank you so much for just coming on briefly tonight in, in, in honor of, of her memory. Rosalie Grable, we're talking about the late, webfairy.com is the is the website the webfairy.com she was the first individual globally in the world who defined and called out and questioned questioned the existence or the non- non-existence of planes on 9/11 and she not not just wrote about it but she developed uh, you know video and shared it and from a very small little space in a very small cramped apartment filled with all these exotic things that she would buy at these thrift shops. Uh, She, you know, taught me uh, to to be curious and to go down that path. And it was a very hard one for me to to get my head around in the very beginning. But uh, I want to just acknowledge uh, the influence she had on my life as it relates to the information about 9-11. And she was there supporting uh, the documentary by the late Aaron Russo, behind the scenes, as I said, she was the, it was her little laptop that uploaded the first uh, copy of Aaron's documentary per his OK to Google Video, that then spread all over the world and uh, and got more people on. So and Joe Friendly has been on the call this hour. Uh, Rosalie and her mother lived with Joe for the last uh, few years. Uh, and uh, he has many other stories that he could share, but we don't have time tonight. And Marguerite, you've been touched by Rosalie. You've met her, dealt with her, was involved in New York 9-11 Truth. And there's, there's umpteen stories that you could tell if we had you back on the call. Uh, and we will have you back on this call later uh, to talk about some of those other stories. Uh, anybody else before we wrap up this hour in tribute to Rosalie Grable? feel free. I don't want to miss anyone. And I would like to Joe uh reach out and and make a contact with Rosalie's uh daughter at oh, at yeah, some point for sure. and I and I say thank you for for being that point of contact.
6: Uh she'd be quite be willing to daughter. do it. Yeah. She's 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 up for it.
1: And I know she uh, she's from the Grand Rapids area or at least that's what I thought because Rosalie that's was right. originally from Grand Rapids. Correct. Okay. All right. She's in town uh, now. Yeah. Okay.
6: She, yeah.
1: Well, say hi to her if you see her, Joe. Uh, just uh, say uh-huh. we, we thank thank her for all that she's done to support her mom behind the scenes, and we would like to reach out to her at some point. And, okay. and maybe she could come on our show uh, at some point later, as we keep the memory of Rosalie Grable alive for for many other people. Okay. Good. Yeah. Okay, Joe, Marjorie, thank you so much. Everyone, uh, this this call will be archived. We're going to segue over to Jim Fetzer for the next hour, but please feel mm-hmm. free to share the archive of this call at the end of the call. It will be archived. You can go on and link to it, and 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 share it and Facebook it and everything else. Jimmy, you still there?
3: Yeah, yeah. I'd love it if Peggy and and Joe could hang out hang on though. Oh, absolutely, oh, yeah. Marguerite,
1: yeah. hang on, Joe, hang on.
3: In okay, fact, it was, it was it was
1: it was Jim, uh, Joe. It was Jim who mentioned your name. And I think he reached out to you to encourage you to come on the call. And I, for that, I say thank you uh, for, to Jim and to Jill for, for making that connection tonight.
6: Yeah, I'll thank you, Jim. Yeah.
1: Well, okay. I'm
3: so glad you could join us, Joe. And Peggy, too.
1: Uh, And just to, to kind of then segue over to Jim. Jim came into town into Chicago one time to promote one of his books. And I, I organized a uh a screening or a showing or a speech at a local coffee shop in Evanston. Rosalie was there. Many other people were there. It was, it was a a decent crowd. It wasn't huge, but uh, every little bit counts. And, uh, and it was, uh, uh, that was, that was the first time I think, Jim, you met Rosalie in person. Is that true?
3: I think that may well be. Uh, I think that may well be. Peggy and Joe might know better, but I think that's right. She was, she was a dynamic person, you know. She was yep. very, very outspoken. Uh, very committed to truth. Uh, she wouldn't mince words. Uh, she wouldn't yep. take any guff. Uh, yep. She would. She could be right in your face. I mean, I love that about her. I thought that was simply terrific that she would be so outspoken. I'm very curious about how um, how, how how Peggy was commenting on Rosalie in relation. To, uh, Gerard Holmgren, who who died fairly early on, unfortunately, and I wonder whether it was related to his uh, observations about, uh, you know, the planes the Bureau of your transportation statistics showed that flight 11 and 77 weren't even scheduled that day. And then Nico, Nico could be so in your face. I mean, I gave a talk at Cooper Union, you know, a couple times, I guess, but one of them, Nico was just, Following me around, you know, like he was wanting to poke a finger in my in my eye about, you know, whether I was covering up about no planes. And I think at that point in time, I just hadn't put two and two together and figured out uh, that actually uh, the the whole idea of those planes hitting the towers had been an elaborate scam. And that the you know everyone looked at these videos and there were so many. There are like fifty two for the north uh, for the south tower, for example, flight one seventy five. And people just couldn't imagine, you know, how how it could be faked. But the fact is, you have to understand the laws of physics. Uh, It's impossible for an aluminum aircraft to penetrate uh, eight different floors. In the case of the South Tower, where each of the floors was a steel truss connected at one end to the core columns, at the other to the external steel support columns, which were, by the way, quite formidable in and of themselves. And then filled with four to eight inches of concrete, the variance being because there were grooves in the, in, the, in, the, in the trusses that were four inches deep. So some places the concrete would be eight inches, another four. But because the buildings are 208 feet on a side, each of these floors consists of a steel truss and an acre of concrete. So you had the plane coming to the, the South Tower intersecting with eight floors, you have steel trusses and an acre of concrete, eight acres of concrete on steel trusses. Now, we know what happens to a commercial carrier in flight when it encounters a small bird weighing a few ounces. There's a
5: big hole
3: in the fuselage. Frequently, they have to land. Sometimes they've even been caused to crash by, by running into birds. Well, imagine running into a single steel tr- an acre of concrete on a single steel truss, just one of them out there in space. I mean, it's ridiculous. The plane would be obliterated. And what would have happened had one of these planes actually hit the north or the south, where the north tower, the flight uh, 11 was intersected with seven of these floors, is that it would have crumbled external to the building, uh, uh, body seats, luggage, wings, tail, fall into the ground, the engines, which are you know, virtually indestructible, would have penetrated. Uh, but, but in fact, the whole thing was an elaborate scam revealed, among other points, by the fact that at Church and Murray – There was a planet engine. It was a 767 engine, but it was an earlier type that was no longer in use. And Jack White, who was a legendary photo and film analyst with whom I collaborated in relation to JFK, discovered that there was a white van at that intersection. We had four or five guys in FBI vests unloading something heavy. They were delivering this fake engine that was under a steel scaffolding sitting on a sidewalk, where had anything that massive hit, uh, hit the sidewalk at a high velocity, it would have done tremendous damage to the sidewalk, but it's just sitting on the sidewalk. In fact, wow. they, even left a, they even left the dolly behind. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Once you understand that they're faking this stuff, it's much less plausible. You're much less likely to be taken in. And the the fact is that what we're looking at is something akin to Spider-Man, you know, spinning his web through one skyscraper after another, Superman. I mean, when you go to the theater, you're you're in the state of known technically as the willing suspension of disbelief. Meaning you're willing to accept that it's not going to be necessarily correspondent with reality. I've always had a problem with that. Because I'm generally not willing to suspend my disbelief. If I see something that's fake, even in a theater or on television, I'll say to my wife, I said, honey, you realize that could really happen. I don't think she appreciates it because she's much more into the movie. You know, she'll say to me, it's just a movie. But my point is that it's showing something that's impossible. Well, that's what we had with all these movies of of Flight 174 entering the South Tower. It's just it's preposterous. I mean you got it disappearing effortlessly into the building. No crumpling, no breaking, body seats luggage to the ground. In fact, we have a whole host of photographs beneath the facades on the north and the South Tower, and there's nothing there. I typically describe it in the following way. You should have you could have been reclining in a lounge chair chair sipping Mai Tais when these events were <laughs> taking place and you know fit perfectly Free from any danger, no hazard whatsoever. So it it turns out there are are really only three hypotheses about how it could have been done. And and by the way, just to show you how detailed we've been in our research, we've done frame-by-frame analysis of the Hezerkani, which is Flight 175 from the South south Side, and Mm Evan Fairbanks, which is shooting pretty much straight up the South Tower. And when you mm-hmm. do a frame by frame, you find the plane disappears its entire length into the building in the same number of frames and passes its entire length through air, which obviously creates the, the physical absurdity that this would be real only if a massive 500,000-ton steel and concrete building provides no more resistance to the trajectory of an aircraft than air. So, you know, wow. I'm intrigued, I'm intrigued. That that Joe was a holdout because uh, Rosalie, I think, would have been well positioned to make all the arguments I've been making here. And so I'm therefore really fascinated to hear wh- oh, why. Oh, boy, he my turn? I'll, I'll respond. To the no plane story. Very interesting. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead Joe. Yeah, we just going okay. here, here's, to have Here's my please.
6: response. First of all, I do agree with Jim that. For a plane to penetrate a, co- a acre of concrete would be quite a trick. <laughs> that that strength is more or less infinite. So we're talking about walls. But I picture in my own mind a fuselage managing to get between two floors, or pretty much uh, most of the fuselage. How, how's the geometry for that, Jim?
3: Not good. I mean, we have very detailed diagrams well, yeah. showing exactly the angle. Of the planes intersecting both the north and the south, and there, there's no two floors. It's intersecting. I'm looking at one of the diagrams right now. Well, that's the the Can I can I, I, can I
0: talk them. a little bit about that? I just yeah, wanted yeah, to sure talk a little bit about, about that. Just let me finish okay. this sentence.
3: Go ahead. But it's clearly intersecting eight different floors in the sort in the case of the south and seven in the case of the north. Go, go ahead, Big. Uh,
0: well, for one thing the um, the gash, which we call the plane-shaped hole on the side of the building. It's like Jim said, it's the south side of the south building and the north side of the north building, uh, both at the same angle. And the other point is is that the plane, supposedly, the alleged plane, uh, would have been tipped. And the reason they did that was because it looks like a plane, I guess. I don't know. They wanted it to look like the plane had gone in the building. So the shape of it is like, um, uh, like a grin. It's like a grin. And it's the exact same grin on both sides. And if you look in the hole, you can't see any plane parts at all. And Rosalie blew these up. I mean, she had a video of a woman who it's, it was a very successful yeah, video goodness, of a woman goodness, who sat Yeah, he sat in the, uh, you know, she was standing, waving from the plane-shaped hole. And uh, the other point is, I was just looking at this Hume, who was a philosopher, and this is what he said about, in one of his, I don't know, essays. Though an extended object be incapable of a conjunction in place with another that exists without any place or extension, Yet they are susceptible to many other relations. In other words, two things can't exist in the same space at the same time. And the way that they depict it in these cartoons is like Casper the Ghost, you know, just floats through the wall. And that was what, you know, Rosalie was very good at coining terms. Like she had, she coined ne- neologisms. And mm-hmm. you know, the latest one she did was Trump. She called him. Hum- she called him. Trumpy Dump, and she said she just is actually glad she's leaving this world because she's not going to have to see Trumpy Dump become president. <laughs>
6: but meanwhile, anyway.
5: <laughs> meanwhile, Becca,
6: I want to talk about how soft aluminum is because that is a big part of your, your <laughs> argument. <Bumper. laughs> now, the um, weight of a total airplane is about how much?
3: Well, the I mean, 750,000 were 100 tons. I think these 767s were okay, right, so about like 120.
6: 100. Yeah. Okay. Now, it's the job of the wings in design language to support that weight. They keep the, that fuselage and the whole works up in the air by doing that trick with the air pressure and the leading edge and, the, and all that stuff. That pulls up the back of the wing, but the strength of the wing has to be strong enough to hold up that much weight, and we're talking the leading edge of the wing that's where the weight is being suspended of the whole the whole works so in order for aluminum to do that trick, Jim, they have to do some special stuff, don't they, to make that part of the wing extra strong. Do you agree?
3: Well, the strongest connection between the wing and the plane, the fuselage, is right where it joins the fuselage. I so mean, yeah, that's but the, the strongest. But the whole, but, now, the principle but the of aerodynamics of... has to do with lift, it has to do with velocity and creating right. a vacuum no. that elevates the plane. But, but Joe, they're, they're not designed to crash into buildings. I mean, you know, this idea that aluminum, which is a less dense metal than steel, could. You know, if the argument of the line you're approaching were sound, then we ought to be making the steel structures, the skyscrapers, out of aluminum and the planes out of steel. I mean, the steel, <laughs> steel is one of, you know, one of the denser. No, no, I, I, what I'm
6: trying to argue, speed. what yeah. I'm getting at, as I understand it. They use um, carbon fiber along the edge to toughen it up. That aluminum itself, as you say, is just plain not strong enough. But the leading edge of the wing, the whole, all of that has to support the weight. That's what's happening. That's what lift is all about, is there has to be movement or whatever you call it, the vector sharing forces. There has to be the strength in the front of the wing that is very strong. And therefore, the the contest is between the strength of that front edge of the wing and the outer wall of the towers, which I agree. I've seen pictures of what those bolted together um, pieces are. And I agree that um, they're fairly tough. Uh, I will add one extra ingredient to this whole conversation, and that is that Rosalie put up on YouTube a video, of all people, that I made of two guys on a scaffold on the north face of the North Tower about three or four weeks before 9-11. And wouldn't you know it, they're pretty close to where the plane hit. So if they had guys working on the general area with some kind of remote control explosives, that could help the story happen.
5: And wait, that, wait, 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 Joe, 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 you have, <laughs> you have a video, Dr. <laughs>
6: evidence of guys working in those areas? Yeah. I gave my video to Rosalie and she got a million hits. And then I put it up in my name and I slowed down the video and the shaking and all that. I only got about a hundred, no, I got about a (laughs) thousand. But basically, if you Google Rosalie Grable um, scaffold shadow I think it is she wow. she made a big point that the that the scaffolding demonstrates the angle of the sun at particular times of day and all that. And I will say this about the video that I made, it was inspired. That she in her video they have the the reason for it being inspired was that I was taking my video camera to cover a, a radio station WBAI protest and it's on Wall Street and walking back from that protest which she includes in her video i have uh i'm walking to the subway and i look up at the world trade center and i see a black spot and i think wow what could that black spot be on the so i take out my camera which has a very high powered zoom i think you know at yeah. least 160 power and i zoom in i think it was even more than that and I zoom in on it, and it's two guys on a scaffold. So I make a movie of that. I turn on the camera, and I, when you're using the zoom that much, you do want to keep the camera steady. I didn't have a yeah. tripod, but the best I yeah. could do was um, steady the camera by placing it on a mailbox I had nearby.
0: But yeah. but see none of, none of that actually uh, you know gives any reason why the plane would disappear into the building. I mean it just I, there was nothing that. I agree. It's that pretty fell. weak. Yeah, uh, that is yeah, yeah,
5: yeah, a
6: weak yeah, yeah, yeah. thing to uh, argue from. But it is theoretically.
0: <laughs> well, I read, at least
6: uh, it
3: was It's a story.
5: <laughs> I watched
3: I watched the little video, Joe. I liked the little video because look. I wasn't, Let me just describe the big picture here. We're talking about what's known as the post hoc fallacy, because something happens after something else, it's therefore an effect of that something else. The the cutouts, the facades to which Peggy was alluding, have completely independent origin. They were not caused by the plane. They were deliberately created... to convey the impression that they'd been caused by the plane. So the people well, would believe- Hold on
6: a second. If that's true, then that's exactly what the guys in the scaffolding were doing. Ex- that's
5: exactly, how they No, I'm, I'm leading up to it. Probably, there's yes.
0: A lot,
3: there's a whole lot more proof that that's what was going on there. We, we had over 200 Israeli so-called art students come into the country. They were all over the place, but a whole whole a lot of them were tra- tracking the-, the but poor guys who are going to be cast as the patsies, the 19, is, you know, Islamic terrorists, uh, 15 of them were, were actually from Saudi Arabia, and a half a dozen or more turned up alive and well and were in contact with the British media, for example. Most people don't know that, because it already implies that if the hijackers didn't die, then the planes didn't crash, because if they had crashed and they were commanded by the hijackers, they would have died. No, Nobody died on any of these plane crashes. They were all faked in different ways. So I've gotten through this in so much detail. But what's important in relation to what Joe's talking about in the scaffolding is that there were uh, uh, dozens of these uh, art students in of the Twin Towers. They were known as the gelatin group. And the gelatin group had complete access to the buildings. They, they may or may not have implanted the explosives in the core columns, but I guarantee you... They were doing what they call performance art external to the buildings, and they appear to have been prepping the buildings with a series of small explosives to set off that would wind up creating the cookie-cutter-like cutouts on the facades of the building. Now, there's a guy from the Yeah, there's a guy from the UK. they, They had boxes and boxes of these fuse holders. We have photographs of them in the tower with boxes and boxes of these fuse holders that I believe were used to hold whatever it was in place, that they used some kind of incendiary that would, you know, create intense uh, uh, temperatures to cut uh, steel to create this design. A point Judy Wood has made so many times is that they, they're too much like cookie cutter cutouts. They're like the Wiley Coyote movie. He runs into a boulder, and you have the perfect outline of Wiley. Uh, Jack White noticed, for example, in the relation to the North Tower that they actually extended the damage to the the building on the right tip, the tip of the right wing. I mean, I think some of those people doing this, you know, got a little carried away with how much it was supposed to simulate an aircraft. So that I have, you know, slides in, in one or another. I've done so many slide sets of all these things where you can see before and after they've extended the right tip of the wing, which is, of course, one of the weakest parts of the plane, least likely to cut through the steel. But, but, but Peggy made a really important point earlier, and Rosalie was right on top of this, that there's, there's no airplane debris inside these holes. If a plane had actually gone in there, there would have been aircraft debris all over the place. Compare it with uh, the with, uh, Empire State Building, when that, Boeing, that uh, uh, B-17, I think, flew, crashed into the building. It was sticking out. You saw all kinds of plane parts. We had one in, in Tampa, Florida, where a private plane crashed into a, a, a high rise, and you saw the plane sticking out. There's no aircraft parts there in these holes that are supposed to represent this massive, in excess of 100-ton building, uh, airplane. And as I observed before, there also are no aircraft debris below. And what we have, this one engine at Church and Murray, is an obvious plan. In fact, more recently, they reported that a, a landing gear was found wedged between two buildings, and it still had a piece of rope attached to it that had been used to help to lower it into place. I mean... Once you see they're faking this stuff, you can no longer take for granted any of it is real. There's even a principle under the law entitled "fraud vitiates every." The states if you have any any significant portion of a case is fraudulent, the, the the court or the jury is entitled to dismiss the whole case. Thus is it here. We we have this uh the phenomenon is very. It's the Hollywood. These are Hollywood special effects we're talking about. It's like in the Rambo movies, you know, where the guy's machine got blood spurting out everywhere. I mean, he, they, they actually aren't killing actors on the scene, right? It would make it very difficult to recruit uh, for new films. So the Screen Actors Guild would tolerate. But they have these little packets that are simulating blood beneath the clothing with a little explosive charges that blow out to make it look like the guy's being machine gun. Well, that's what we had going here in New York. It was an elaborate charade. You got the plane disappearing into the building. It cannot be a real plane because no real plane could actually enter the building in the fashion shown with no hesitation, no deceleration. I mean, that's preposterous all by itself.
0: I, I, I also thought of one other thing recently. I go over it in my mind, but I was looking at a, a film or a video about airplanes flying, and if an airplane tips like it was looking to bank, And, um, you know, a plane, when it banks, it tips. But the thing is, the videos all show the plane flying straight. Uh, None of them say that it was turning. But you did hear on the news, they said, Bank sharply. So people imagine in their mind that they saw the plane banking sharply, but they only saw it in their mind's eye. And that the way the thing is tilted, it would be appropriate if the plane was banking. But it doesn't make sense because the planes, none of them were banking allegedly, as when they came in. They all came love- in straight.
1: I, I, I mean, the only at, plane
0: that the only plane that banks like that it, while still flying straight is in a is in a is in a show like a, an air show with a little plane, not a commercial plane, right? I mean, you can see that well, maybe, well, but it, I don't even know.
3: Well, if you look at the frames from the Hezerkani, for example, you can see the plane's at a tilt as it's shown in the film.
0: But and, then, why that, wouldn't it turn? Well, I mean, a plane when it tilts like that, it would turn. It wouldn't keep going straight.
3: Uh, Well, it depends what you mean by uh, when it turns, Peggy. The, 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 you know, there are 52 of these videos of Flight 175. And, and what Anthony, what this Richard D. Hall from the U.K. did was he, he studied how many of them were clear enough that you could plot a location of a plane at a time in relation to, you know, other features. And he found about 27 of them allowed him to do that. So he blotted the location of the plane and the time approaching the building. So he he had a whole series of plots. He he discovered belatedly that the NIST had done the same thing and claimed that its plots were based upon radar data. But when he looked at its own study, it it seemed flimsy. It didn't appear to be true. He discovered, however, there was radar data, actual radar data for a real plane approaching the building only, It's 1,200 feet to the right of the plots that he had plotted based upon the 27, which were indistinguishable, by the way, from the same plots from the NIST. So they they have an agreement with the plots from the videos of the image of the plane approaching the building. But what he discovered is the real video, uh, the real radar data has a plane 1,200 feet to the side, which appears to be projecting the image of the plane that he'd been plotting from the videos and that it was actually a holographic image. I've even been sent a a page from an Australian manual about the airborne holographic projector showing exactly how this was done. So you had a real plane. It was 1,200 feet to the side of the projected image that just was flown right into the building and there was no resistance because it was just a hologram; it was an image of a plane, not a real plane.
0: The the reason that I disagree with that is because I studied all the videos myself, and I know that they're not the same trajectories. And that was the original work that Nico did as well. And the other the other point is that I interviewed many, 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 many people, hundreds of people. Nobody gave. Nobody saw the plane. You can't find anyone who saw the plane. The people who say they saw it were lying or they weren't standing in the right place. You can't find a good witness. I did find one good witness, and actually, yeah, I found one good witness, and he said he should have seen it from where he was standing, but he didn't, and he also didn't hear it hear it uh, i know there was planes i know uh, there was planes that were flying over i know there was planes that were flying over because i talked to witnesses there were fly over planes one good witness even said they felt like it was world war three because there were so many planes flying over and so
3: that's very interesting mm -hmm. andrew johnson Mm -hmm. did a did a study of uh, new york times that collated the 500 witness reports about the planes and they were all over the, the place uh, some said it was a large plane, some said a small, some said it was commercial, some said a military.
5: Listen, uh, people one, can
0: one say set anything. Of, Pe-
3: one one said a missile was fired from the Woolworth building into the north.
0: That, department. I believe, what did happen, that there was a missile that was shot off that building, that I believe. And my neighbor worked in that building, and he also believed it. Um, and I, that's why I believe it, because he told me that he witnessed it. But the thing is that you can, you can read anything that someone says. Someone can say anything, and it can be printed. But sure. if you interview the person, who's the, you have to interview the person. You have to ask them, where were you standing? What did you see? Think about yeah. it. What exactly did you see? And a lot of people will tell you, I saw the plane. You say, "Where?" Were, in fact, when I used to hand out flyers on the anniversary, I would talk to people that weren't into 9-11 truth at all. But I saw it. I saw it. Where were you? What did yeah. you see? And then they yeah. think about it, and they realize they didn't see it.
5: Well, they, they thought, they,
0: thought and they, they saw no, it. What
5: they,
0: no, they saw an explosion. Many people saw an explosion.
5: And they they extrapolated,
0: no, they saw an explosion and they, in their minds, that was the plane hitting the building. And so they said, I saw it happen. I saw it happen. What did you actually see? Did you see a plane? No, they didn't. They saw an explosion. They thought that was the plane hitting the building. The other thing, I spoke to a man who is a very important, not important, but just a very well-known eye doctor and eye medical researcher in the field of how the eye functions, et cetera. And, you know, you can't see a plane moving, even if it was going that fast, which is, a rocket speed as the you know, engineers from Boeing would have said that was in an airplane. That was a rocket going at that speed at that sea level. So close to sea level, wow. even if it was there, which it couldn't have been. Uh, it, it, and that's the other thing with the Rosalie. I just want to bring it back. She had this thing, pigs, wind pigs fly. And you see it. You know, there's so many reasons that this thing is, is not uh, it's not going to fly. This story is not going to fly. I mean, there's layers and layers of reasons the story is not going to fly. <laughs> but the, but the, just another one to add it all on is a person standing on the ground, an object going that fast, you can't see it anyway. Nobody no, could no, have no, Peggy, seen it Peggy, anyway.
3: Peggy, Peggy, there's a more important argument that's been made by pilots for 9-11 Truth, namely that a Boeing 767 could not fly that fast at that altitude. That's the other and, point. And would,
5: <laughs> yeah. Well, listen to me. It
3: would physically have come apart. It would physically yes. have come apart. Yes. But if it was a hologram and it was being, you know, flown projected from a different type of aircraft, not a Boeing 767, that could fly that fast at that altitude. But nobody,
0: Oh, well, I, I just don't. I, I mean, that's for, for future discussion.
3: Well, we're discussing it now. The point is. Well, what I'm saying not is that the, Let, the, the make, main. Make, 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 make. There are three explanations that have been advanced for how it was done when you look at the videos. One is it was CGI, computer generated image.
7: Uh,
3: Rosalie actually championed that. Then there was a Ace Spaker champion video compositing that they added the image to the live feed before it was broadcast. There's like a seventeen second interval. And the third is that was a hologram. And my argument has always been that there were enough witnesses who reported seeing the plane that that which would not have been the case had it been either CGI or video compositing, that it must have been the hologram. But if that's a faulty assumption you know, I mean, I, my yes. impression has been there were a couple of hundred firefighters, for example, who saw and heard the plane, where my inference was they saw the hologram and heard the real plane and assumed it was the effect of the holographic image. Well, what I but, think but now this, is that. Now that well, it seems to me to go back to Richard Hall's the radar data. Because if the radar data is for a real plane, then there was a real plane there. It wasn't the one that went into the building, but the one that projected it. I mean, I think that becomes a very important point of this. Go ahead now. Go ahead.
0: Okay, sure. Um, as far as the CGI, um, the CGI was used for the amateur shots that weren't, uh, quote-unquote, live. And the stuff that was live, that was, quote-unquote, live, 70 delay, whatever, um, that was the um, – what ace baker explains you know the layering the insertion of the of the of the, the object of the cartoon object yes, video, video,
5: video yes. Composite. so
0: it's a compa it's a it's a combination of both of those things there's it depends on the video um i've i've looked carefully at each of the videos and so has other people rosalie and so has you know if you study them yourself, you will see that it's not the same trajectory each time. And what Richard Hall does, let me just finish, let me just finish. What Richard Hall does is he's creating a computer model off of radar data or whatever, and he's claiming that this model matches this other model. But the point is, is that that is that kind of a, let's put it this way, uh, a misdirection has been done over and over in the research community around 9/11. In other words, um, I mean, it just—that's just—that's just, that's just, that's just something we... that they did. Like, for instance, in the, um, the 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 there was a college, I think it was Purdue College, that had the video uh, of the plane entering the right. building so, and destroying yeah, the building, but... and that was a computer. That was a computer.
3: Yeah, modeling
0: program, yeah. That
3: was that was complete rubbish. So That's is, what is, I'm yeah.
0: trying to say. So you can't always depend on a computer generated yeah, model. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, have to. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah.
3: But Peggy, 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 uh, I don't see any reason to impugn Richard Hall's
0: analysis.
3: I mean. I think he's sincere. I don't think he's trying to distract anyone. He also explains.
0: Okay, listen. This is your, you're you're making an argument by authority here. I have no, nothing not. to say about. Yes, it is because you're saying Richard Hall. I don't want to impugn his uh, reputation no, I'm ever. Saying, I Has don't
5: nothing see any reason. to do with Peggy. Peggy, Let, Peggy let's tone down the, the the the
3: volume, thought, everyone. Thank you. I'm saying I don't see any grounds for impugning his
5: integrity.
0: All right, you don't, but I do only because I interviewed hundreds of people. I, I, I interviewed people. You can't find someone who saw it. You just can't. Well, Peggy, okay, I'm th- not
3: drawing a conclusion here. I'm not saying he's right. I'm saying I don't see any reason to think he's being I
0: I accept that. I accept that. I accept that. Oh, I, right, I mean, right. that's perfectly here's, fine.
3: Yeah. Here's something else, Peggy. He explains why beneath the facade in the back in the North Tower that you can see all these twinkling points of light. I sometimes say maybe that's what George H.W. Bush meant by a thousand points of light. It appears to be all <laughs> <laughs> the is going off beneath the cloud that's obfuscated to create the the cutout. And it looks as though it was done in both the North and the South Tower. I mean, Yeah, no, but-
0: I mean, just because it explains something doesn't mean that it's right.
3: No, but we're looking for the best explanation, Peggy, and I know of no well, better explanation. The Peggy. only
0: reason that you don't know of any better explanation is because you didn't interview all those people and try to find somebody who was a good witness who actually saw the plane. You know that there's crisis actors. You know that they're liars.
3: Peggy, Peggy, I'm not talking about the, the plane. I'm talking about the cutout. And I'm saying oh,
0: okay.
3: that's an explanation for the cutout. That's a 1,000 points of light.
0: Oh, that's funny. I'm,
5: not, I'm <laughs> okay. not going back to the plane
3: thing, Peggy. I get that's your point.
5: Okay. I'm saying <laughs> okay, Richard
3: Ball just to have the only argument that actually explains how those cutouts were made, and when you put it together with a gelatin group and the fact that they had access, were doing performance art. They were, you know, they set it up. I have absolutely no doubt about it.
0: I missed the point about why Richard Hall's explanation ta- explains how those uh, the, the, the silhouettes were cut out. I missed that.
3: Well, he's pointed out that there are a whole bunch of twinkling little b- b- points of light beneath the, the smoke and debris from the initial explosion. And after the smoke and debris clears, then it's there, and that the little points of light appear to be little incendiary devices or little explosive devices that are creating it. I mean, that's when it happened.
0: But camera. what does that have to do with the hologram?
3: That's separate and apart from the hologram page. Oh, okay, you
0: know? good, 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 good. good, sample, good. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. I have to I mean, slow I sometimes. Great, sorry. i sorry.
3: I think it's great you've been out, uh, out interviewing a lot of people. I think that's terrific. We both <laughs> agree. We both agree that get- either of the was hit by a real plane, that yeah, it was fake <laughs> one way or another, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, and the question becomes, how was it faked? And as I've observed, there are three different explanations. Uh, and you, you and Rosalie seem to agree with Ace. it was this combination. Well, Ace, I think, is pretty dedicated to the video compositing. But, I mean, he's a brilliant guy. You know, if he, if he hadn't feigned committing suicide on my radio show, I would
5: still be, would still be interviewing the guy. I mean, that was that such a
3: loopy thing to do.
5: I was, so,
3: I was so distressed by that, I called the California Highway Patrol, and they sent the L.A. police out there to verify that he was actually alive and
0: well after he
3: faked through.
0: That's horrible. That's and it, cost horrible
3: me the radio, it cost me the radio show, too. I mean, here, I'm featuring the guy because I want to promote his work, and he, he does a, kind of a sucker punch on me. I thought that was pretty deplorable.
5: That's horrible, yes.
0: That was wrong. Oh,
3: dear, Joe, 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 where do you stand now, Joe? Joe are you still, you still believe it was real well, planes, huh? Um,
6: I have, I talked to people in uh, Union Square Park that said they saw planes um, go over the park. I, I didn't ask them if they saw it hit the building.
0: But exactly. They,
6: were, they said they were
3: low. Okay. They in That's true. Planes,
0: yes, planes. they were.
3: Yeah, but Peggy, there were flyovers. There were flyovers. is that inconsistent with your claim that there were no nobody saw planes?
0: No, what I mean to say, I'll say it more precisely. No one saw any plane hit the hit the tower. They were they were flyovers.
3: Tell me about the flyovers. What kind of flyovers are they?
0: Well, somebody saw the uh, that white elephant plane, <laughs> you know, flying south. Uh, and it was flying very low and they were around, um, uh, Houston and Lafayette. And they said they, they, they came out, they saw it and they described exactly the white elephant plane, uh, thingy. And, uh, they said that they told me that there was some kind of trials that were going on downtown. They knew something was going to happen that day because they knew these trials weren't going to be happening, but I didn't ever verify that part.
3: Are you talking about the doomsday plane? One of these, what is it? The e- y- yes, plane. it
0: was it was so so, uh,
3: shown. One over Washington too, you know.
0: Yes, it was. Uh, it was remarked upon by Barbara Walters, and you can see it in some of the videos. And apparently, it's this uh, important uh, military plane. It's uh, white. And so that was it. But, you know, the person described it to me perfectly. And someone else, I I know there was flyovers. There was flyovers. Yes.
3: Well, the plane you're talking about is this doomsday aircraft where you can have the Airborne Presidential Command and Control Center if there's a nuclear attack in the nation.
0: Yeah, it's well, a special Security, security plane. Pilot,
3: mm-hmm. Pilots for 9-11 Truth established both that flight, uh, flight 93, which allegedly, of course, had crashed at Shanksville, was actually over Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, after it had crashed, and that Flight 175 was over Harrisburg and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, long after it had allegedly crashed. And I myself ascertained by obtaining Federal Aviation Administration records that the planes that were used for those two flights were not formally deregistered or taken out of service until 28 September 2005. So Gerard had established, you know, 11 and 77 weren't even scheduled that day. So how can planes that weren't even in the air have crashed on 9-11? And then in relation to 93 and 175, how can planes that crashed on 9-11 have still been in the air four years later? I think that's the basic conundrum. And I, I, I don't know whether Joe...
6: Well uh here's where course, I go uh, with that one. If indeed the planes that hit were or no, if if <laughs> if the airliners didn't hit the buildings, which is your point you just made, I could imagine planes fashioned with extra strong um front edges where you need it to do the job of making
3: that uh, kind of hole on the like I had a I had so many exchanges with Anthony Lawson, who was arguing just that way, Joe he was claiming they put depleted uranium on the edges and all that, oh, that I works. mean this requires completely reconfigurating You have to be totally different aircraft I mean it affects the the balance and weight distribution of the aircraft it 's just a fantasy and there's no, there's no way by having you know carbon on the edges as you 're suggesting you can get aluminum aircraft to penetrate steel buildings. I mean, those are elaborate uh, uh, steel lattice structure, concrete. I mean, I've described the physics here of coming up against seven floors of concrete on steel trusses in the North Tower and eight in the South. And it's a physical impossibility. I mean, it could not happen.
6: Would you accept this sacrifice, Jim, that I would concede, I don't believe, a plane hit the Pentagon?
0: <laughs> well, good for you. That's a non sequitur. That's a non
3: sequitur. Yeah, it's neither aerodynamically nor physically possible. I actually had an aeronautical engineer write a whole article about how the fact is that uh, because of something sometimes called ground effect or or downdraft, that, that a 757 at over 400 miles an hour couldn't have got closer than 60 or even 80 feet to the ground, where 80 yeah. feet is closer than the Pentagon is tall. So.
6: And and tell me this, Jim. All kidding aside, did you feel a little lonesome for a little evidence that the wings have some strength on the edges?
0: <laughs> I wanted to bring something up about that. If I could interrupt just a minute, if you have an aluminum knife,
3: it's got to do with relative density. It's an elementary law of material science that in a in a collision between a less dense and a more dense object, the more dense object prevails over the less, and the the more dense is the steel in the building, and the less is the aluminum. Even if you want to check. Oh, jet.
6: In, in the Pentagon, didn't you miss? There should have been a little more wing damage. Oh, <laughs> I
3: spent so much time on the Pentagon. I'm sorry,
5: right?
0: I, I, I just, time. I wanted to mention one example. Yeah, I just wanted to mention an example. If you have an aluminum knife, I mean even if you're going to get a steak knife, what are you going to get? You're going to get a stainless steel knife, okay? Let's say you're an idiot and you have an aluminum knife. And that, and you're not even going to try to cut a steak. You're going to try to cut what? A steel a steel rod? How far are you going to get? You can't cut steel with aluminum. Neither. I got a guy
3: here who wants to go to a, spend a lot of money to put uh, the tail, uh, the aluminum tail of an aircraft on a railroad, uh, <laughs> run it into a, an iron you know, steel bar to see what will happen. But we know what will happen. You know, the you, you, thought bother- tells it all. I mean, I think a, this reflects the importance of the laws of nature. They cannot be violated. They cannot be changed. So if you're given an account that violates the laws of nature, you know it's baloney.
6: Well, no, I do want to respond to that law of nature remark, Jim. For the record, sure. I, I have studied law, but in particular, I also <laughs> studied nature.
5: <laughs> i,
6: yeah. I uh, do have a degree in, I, in uh, engineering
3: you're a hundred percent good guy and we can add disagree with this all day long it doesn't bother me at all i still think you're wonderful so.
5: yeah.
3: i think it was so terrific that you and rosalie were able to spend those years together i think that's sensational when i first learned that you and she were living together i was ecstatic ecstatic i want you to oh. know that i first learned that I, was I thought I was going to be able to real. convince
6: her sooner. <laughs> I was
3: thrilled. when I learned that I was thrilled.
0: I, I wanted to mention something. I just read an interest, a very good article about this whole issue of um, cartoons, uh, you know, cartoons overlay onto reality, and they yeah. call it the Roger Rabbit effect. Yeah. And they say if it's something which – uh, you know, couldn't happen, uh, then, you know, if you're shown it, then, you you know, you should know that uh, it didn't happen. And uh, he, it, the the man makes a distinction between people that are high IQ, let's say, idiots. He doesn't like to use that word. But someone could have a very high IQ and be very intelligent, but the bullshit meter detector is set very low. So, yeah. And, and so yeah. he was saying, you know, yeah. I like I the article. Say, you know,
3: I I've, I've, I've had all these disagreements with Judy Wood, uh, not in the beginning where I was a fan and put her on the air 15 times on my radio shows when no one else would give her the time of day. But she she and Morgan and Rosalie really were the forces that got me to look at no plane theory. And I mean, I'm today one of the leading proponents of no plane theory. I mean, I talk about it a lot in different contexts. I'm very, very interested in your reports, Peggy, about your interviews with these uh, witnesses. I think that's very significant. And if I'm wrong about there being hundreds of firefighters, for example, who all saw a real plane hit the building or what they took to be a real plane hit the building, then I could easily be persuaded that it was a combination of uh, video compositing and CGI. CGI. I am very interested, however, to validate what Richard Hall's claim about the radar study, because the radar is only going to show a real plane, you know.
0: I think all all the radar was faked. faked. I think all the radar was faked. If you look at the radar and you study it, you can see that they that they introduced blips. And I think the original book, which was Cross the Rubicon, Mike Rupert, he yeah. he mentioned that it was a it was a uh, it was some kind of a drill, and they were introducing radar blips all over the place. And mm-hmm. the other interesting thing, of course, not everything is known about exactly how it was done, but the, the Stewart Air Force Base was a very important. Place because allegedly, according to the radar, two of the planes crossed over that airport at exactly the same time. That airport is not a public – it's not uh, – it's its own. it's a private airport. I think it's owned by uh, European interests, English. And so it's just an interesting, um, you know, note on yeah. that, which I'd like to find out more about. You know, what was this exact – role of Stewart yeah, air which, force did.
3: which which planes were those supposed to be
0: i i should i i have to refresh my mind because i have to but look back at all that seven, information if 11
3: and 77 seven weren't even in the air
0: and if i know that
3: was over mm-hmm. champaign urbana in 175 over harrisburg and pittsburgh we got to have a, we got a problem getting any planes intersecting anywhere
0: well it, it it was a it was according to the radar records they they did intersect they must and i'll have to relook at it again
3: but well, I agree about faking records, and you know even the nine eleven commission said the Pentagon was lying to them repeatedly that they got at least three different versions from the Pentagon about what happened on nine eleven and you know there are there are three different versions of the truth
0: <laughs> no, the truth is one, but the lies are many.
3: You know, it's very, I like that. You know, this 28 pages is really creating an opening in the public mind. If they hid 28 pages of Saudi Arabian funding for 9-11, what else have they hidden from us? What else could they be lying about? Mm. I think there's a real prospect here for having a breakthrough over these 28 pages.
0: That would be good. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: Joe, I think you're a terrific guy. I'm real glad that you
6: have that time with Rosalie i think it's wonderful oh boy if we can uh well, 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 well one issue i had with rosalie on 911 was i was quite comfortable that the re- the way the buildings came down was uh lvi services incorporated uh who advertises who advertised until 2006 that their main business was preparing buildings for controlled demolition. So do you agree there, the guys who did it?
3: Oh, well, the buildings, the the north and the south tower were taken out by a sophisticated arrangement of mini or micro nukes that were directed upward to blow the buildings apart from the top down to attempt to simulate a sequence being converted into millions of cubic yards of very fine dust. And when it was over, there was nothing there. Father Frank. Came onto my show twice. And, of course, he'd been a first responder, and he told me on two different occasions those buildings were destroyed two or even below ground level, unlike Building 7, of course, which came down at 520 in the afternoon in a classic controlled demolition where we know from experience with other demolitions that you wind up with a pile of debris, principally floors, equal to 12% of the height of the original. And in the case of that, Building 7, it was 47 floors, 12% yield, about 5.5, and and we had about 5.5 floors. I'm looking right now at a very famous photograph where you can see Building 6 with a huge scooped-out center to the left. You can see the 5.5 floors of Building 7. And to the right where building one stood, there's nothing. There's nothing there. Father Frank had it exactly right.
6: Well, Mm. if I had my turn, uh, here's my sense of how it came down. Sure. That on September 12, 2000, the Port Authority, the owners of the building, put up a request for bids to deal with asbestos floor tiles. The low bid that won the contest was $1 million even though there were amounts of 600000 for just one or two floors of dealing with the uh, asbestos floor tiles. But the winner was LVI Services Incorporated. And as I said, their business was stated online to be preparing buildings for controlled demolition. And the way they accomplished it was to ride atop of the elevators, which gave them access to all the core beams in the corners of the elevator shafts, So they could easily attach cutting charges every 30 feet, every other floor, to the 47 core beams. And indeed, they advertise – oh, they're they're really a subcontractor for Controlled Demolition Incorporated. And Controlled Demolition Incorporated advertises that when they bring a building down, they take – Pains to have the steel pre cut to convenient lengths of about 30 feet so they'll fit conveniently on flatbed right. trucks without any further cutting. And indeed, on the World Trade Center disaster, they were loading hundreds of trucks per night. The steel had indeed been pre cut to those lengths. Yep. And in the still pictures, you can see steel of exactly those lengths thrust upward and outward in the explosion of the building.
3: But, Joe, 12% of 110 floors is 12 or 13 floors. There would have had to have been 12 to 13 floors of debris, piles of debris there, floors, 13 to 14, more than twice what we had at Building 7. And they aren't there. Those buildings were blown apart. They were disintegrated largely, converted into very fine dust. Millions of cubic yards of very fine dust, which settled all all over Manhattan. And it turns out that dust is extremely important because the U.S. Geological Survey studied the dust samples and found a whole host of elements that, uh, whose presence indicated that it was a nuclear event. Barium and strontium, thorium and uranium, lithium, lanthanum, yttrium, chromium, tritium, and we've had a whole, maybe as many as 70,000 deaths from, from uh, the effects uh, of exposure to to ionizing radiation, multiple myeloma, leukemia, pancreatic, esophageal cancer, and so forth. God, I'd even speculate. Who knows? Maybe Rosalie's pancreatic cancer was somehow related to nine eleven For God's sake. But I mean, it's well, unbelievable. I, I
6: would. I I concede that it is an important item in the in the evidence of the crime that the concrete, the filing cabinets, most of the office furniture, all of that was not at the crime scene. It had disappeared. It had turned into such yeah. an extraordinarily fine dust that it it blew away in the wind, went down the sewers with the rain. Yeah. That Indeed, that is part of the big clue that the concrete flooring turned into extraordinarily fine dust.
2: Well, but the answer I,
6: I go rain. with is Niels Herritt and Jones in their okay. online paper in which they found in the dust
5: All right, the explosion.
6: John. I mean, it was a super explosive that was so explosive it could be painted or sprayed on the flooring, and you know, it would do the right,
3: job. It's a myth, I'm sorry to say. But this has been a wonderful, wonderful discussion. Is Fred, is Fred still there? Fred, are you there, my friend? Moment. Yeah,
4: I I think he is there. Fred, are you there?
6: Somebody's uh, he might breathing be... awful heavily. Somebody's asleep.
4: He's sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey Jim, hey Jim, this is this is Deedee. Dee, Jim, I wanted to tell you how much I enjoyed meeting
3: you in Portland. It was really great. Terrific. Yeah, yeah that was fun
0: out there. Yeah, it was really
4: fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed your presentation. I've heard you so many times on here, but it was just great to hear all your and see all the slides up there with all those 9-11 elite out of Portland. That was fun.
3: Both both the Portland presentation and the Seattle are up. And the Seattle, the editor did a brilliant job. He brought it down to about just less than an hour. But he added some additional footage. You got to find it. It was absolutely sensational. Great job. Okay, Why?
4: that was a that, day
3: that, after. That was a, that was a wonderful visit out there. I really, I enjoyed it. Oh, good. It was great to see. That put yeah, a face so with the name. Wonderful. Joe, Joe, sensational. Having you on, I'm so glad you could. It is Peggy, it's always a delight to talk. I'm so pleased. I think. You have many of those same qualities of Rosalie, you know. You, you, you're you just not going to concede to anyone else. You're going to lay out the ground and argue for it, just like she did, which I thought was one of her most admirable qualities. So, you know, a lot of good people out there. It's a shame the 9-11. See, they had to sabotage the 9-11 movement in New York because that's the one that would have the greatest Authenticity, the greatest rationale, the greatest credibility, because you know, because New York was hit on that. Yeah.
4: You know. Oh, Al Jordan is on the call unmuted. Jim, he was the one that responsible for uh, outfitting Building Seven. And well, he woke up when he realized it wasn't supposed to be torched like that. Oh, he just he just
7: muted himself. So I guess he doesn't want I'm, to. Speak. I'm, I'm I'm back. I'm back.
4: Oh, you're I, back. I didn't I,
7: know if you wanted yeah. to make a comment. I, the comment I make is this. When I was 16 years old, I used to walk around the World Trade Center. We put up all the air conditioning systems in the entire building. I was there before the glass went in. I was there watching the elevator shaft. Wow, I head. love it. I watched, I watched the fools. Just, uh, used to play chicken with each other on, the, on the elevator shafts when they would they'd, they'd go up to the top of an elevator shaft. and They would scale to, to, to blockade. These are four below, and sometimes they would miss, and you find them dead on top of a of a cage. Oh, why?
5: Not good.
7: That's and I was involved with. I, a few years later, I was involved with some of the insurance claims because I was working for a company called AIG, a little known company. That yep, Yeah. yep. So, um, in looking at all this stuff, I think to myself, assume that all that we're talking about is true, and um, what. Do we do with it once we prove that it's true? What will the government do about it with the people? Well, the government
3: was complicit, so they're going to cover it up. But the, the American yeah, people should know the truth is important in and of itself. I, I have great confidence in the American people if they only know the truth, then take appropriate steps in
7: response. Well, here's, here's the thing that's interesting about it. my my father is dead now, I'm as with my mother, but my father was one of the contractors that helped build the World Trade Center. Yes. Well, Kishman Tishman Realty Development Corporation and Brant Corporation, which is my father's company, put all of the a lot of the superstructure in and all of the equity systems on on all the buildings, et cetera. He didn't talk for two weeks after, after 9-11, but he did say that nothing that you you're going to hear is going to be true and he said that. The, yeah, he said, but you're not going to hear another word about it from me I
5: said, yeah well, why not
7: you're, you're 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 you know you're you know he was ninety four when he died. So how long ago was, was nine eleven? Was enough? let's see, yeah. fifteen years, sixteen years. Yes. So, in any event, in any event, in my in my personal opinion, I think we all agree that there's something very wrong with all the data that we're getting. It's Just like the Kennedy thing, all of us at my age, at least, knew where they were sitting when John Kennedy was shot. And so I remember I was sitting in seventh yeah. grade math class. Yeah. And so I think the same thing holds true for the 9-11 nine eleven scenario. And, and you knew when you watched the controlled implosion of the buildings coming down that there's no way the physics of what had happened could be explained away. And yet you have a very ignorant population in the United States who will believe yeah. anything. I,
5: agree. I mean they will
7: they, they will die for a lie, no one's going to die. I know,
3: you're right, you're right. <laughs> right. Gullah, you're and, right and,
5: breathtaking.
7: and it and it happened and it happened that the same day that this all happened, I happen to live in Washington D C now. I was at the Pentagon within a few hours a few hours later. They put this big freaking tarp on top of the Pentagon. But you could <laughs> see that they, they, it was a big blue tarp. It was weird. So, you know. You <laughs>
3: well, they you didn't yourself. want you to see how phony it was.
7: Well, there was no doubt about it. But even the tarp was not big enough to handle the size of the wings that would have had they gone through the building in order to, to do the kind of damage they're talking about. So at the time, I was confused. Right. Not that I thought there was anything wrong. I knew there was something a lot wrong, with, but I was, I was confused that the hole was so small, considering what what the size of the aircraft that eventually hit the building was all about. The weirdest thing is that I knew people that both hit the World Trade Center and had hit the Pentagon. And at least one of them, uh, who ran MetroCorp, which is a paging company, which no longer really exists in the form that it was in back then, his family, I went to his funeral two weeks later, of course, he wasn't there except for a you know, the coffin and held an effigy, you know. But in any event, I went to visit his wife, and guess what? Nobody lived there anymore at their home. Gorgeous home in Alexandria, Virginia. No children, no home, no nothing. The house, house was empty. And I asked the neighbors what happened to, to the folks that lived here. They said, we don't know. One night they were here, the next day they were gone. I said, how long have they lived here? Ten years. Said, really? And... One has to wonder about these kinds of things, and you think to yourself, "Where are all these people? They didn't—they didn't disintegrate. They didn't do any of those kinds of things. But and all these things that are so troubling, I try not to think about any of them.
5: And, and I, <laughs> <laughs>
7: <laughs> Sorry, I have I feel about it. I mean, I have, I have a sort of a history from the time I was, you know, sixteen and seventeen. At this point in time in my life, and I think to myself. Is this like John F. Kennedy stuff? What is the point? At the end of the day, will we get to even if we prove without a doubt? I think we have evidence. We don't need to debate it. We already know that the buildings were taken down by control, control blasts, Bring the buildings down. We know that somebody was, somebody was monkeying with the film strips and everything else we were seeing when, they, when the aircraft hit whatever hit the buildings, et cetera, both in Washington D.C. and in New York. But what was the reason for it? Oh. Which, you know, it, 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 it's as, it's as if we wanted to wanted we wanted to take more enemies in the Middle East and say, oh gee, it was those no. it was those you know,
5: no, mad it was it
3: terrorists. It was to yeah. transform American foreign policy from one in which at least officially we never attacked any nation that hadn't attacked us first, to one in which yeah. we became an aggressor nation to take out. The modern Arab states that served as a counterbalanced Israel's domination of the Middle, Middle East—it was to get engaged in wars for Israel. Sorry to say, I I, I,
7: I, I do I do agree, with what to, to what end for us? I mean, at the end of the day, this country is backing away from Israel, like it or not. Whether whether the the community of Israelis and the Zionists in New York like it or not, this country is backing away. Yeah. The other the, the other thing the other thing is that it's incendiary. there. we know that we have. Pakistan, which is a, a Muslim country, has atomic weapons. We know that the, the Iranians have had atomic weapons forever, and we also know that Israel has had atomic weapons forever as well. No one's kidding anybody. Okay. So when we, th- we think about that part of the world, I think, what do we really do? why would we really do this, and why did, eventually did we attack Saddam Hussein? Well, we wanted to control the, the, the peninsula there temporarily by controlling one thing, not the oil. We control, we control one thing. What can't you do without for three days, and then you'll die? Water. Got it. Exactly. And what, what rivers happen to, to cross paths in, in Baghdad? Tiger,
3: Euphrates. Look, the Israelis want to dominate the Middle East all the way from the Tigris, Euphrates, to the Nile. I mean, that's their objective, of the great Israel. Correct. Correct.
7: And, 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 and here you are, three million Israels, or five million, million Israels, surrounded by 100 million Arabs. What chance do they really have of dominating anything if there really were a war there? Not a chance. Not a prayer. Nothing could stop them. Go ahead.
1: Hey, Al, I, I just want to yeah. uh, try to put a bow tie to this uh, two hours uh, the of the archives. Yeah, it was great,
3: Fred. It was great. Real yeah, pleasure. No,
1: thank you. Uh, Jim, thank you so much. Joe Friendly, if you're still on, thank you. Yeah. Peggy, everyone who chimed in about Rosalie's memory. Uh, Thank you, and God bless. And we need to bring
3: back uh, Joe and and
1: Peggy on this call at a future date. Thank you. And get Rosalie's
3: Rosalie's daughter to. to...
5: Rosalie's daughter, exactly. Go for it.
1: Jim, I'm going to let you go, or we're going to let
3: you go. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to go, got to go. Thank you, Fred. Everyone came on this call, the archive will be available. I was enjoying it. the last part too, so we need to continue at some point. Thanks, thanks everybody. Yep. Yeah, well, he, thank you everyone. Thank you. Okay. Bye.
4: It was great, great listening to Jim and Al talk and 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 Jujo and and Peg.
1: It was a great dialogue there.
5: You I'd guys should stay on
1: the chat, but we're gonna just close out the archives. No, mm-hmm. We gotta go. Okay. Gotta go. Bye, Bye for
0: now. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye thank, you.
1: Uh, yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. Friend. Thanks so much. A
4: UN American Underground Network.